0: I mean, it's kind of cute right hello and welcome back to kind of cute and if you're new here welcome i'm your host bailey evan and on kind of cute we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings i want to start off by saying if y'all haven't watched the thought shit music video by megan the stallion get into it I think it's a music video masterpiece. It has nuance. It has symbolism. It has a twist ending. It is truly a music video. It is like a movie. I have to say, the young Black artists have just been bringing it. Like Lil Nas, um, Megan Thee Stallion, Doja Cat. They have had my favorite music videos of the year. And I'm telling you, I think this one by Megan Thee Stallion might be my new favorite. It is just... So I'm telling you, the twist ending is going to get you if you haven't seen it yet. I wanted to give an update on something I talked about last week. I kind of went into the whole Erica Girardi, her bankruptcy lawyers withdrawing from her case. Well, in a strange twist, the, law, the, the, lawyers, the lawyers withdrew their motion to withdraw, meaning they kind of just said, I take it back, like we'll stay in, we'll still do this thing, and People are surmising that the real issue was that she didn't have money to pay her lawyers and that's why they were pulling out. But I still think it's so odd that they, the timing of it, the fact that they cited trust breaking down as the main issue as to why they were no longer going to represent her. But I just wanted to update you guys on that because I'm like, okay, I went into that for no reason because they just took it back. (laughs) I also wanted to give you a little personal update Today, I am flying out to Spain. I talked about it last week, so just a reminder that we are taking a little kind of cute vacation next week, but I will be back the week after. And Also, I know I shouldn't even point this out, but again, I'm recording in the morning, and I just know my voice is crusted and dusted and busted, and I'm sorry, but I really wanted to get an episode up for you guys. I also wanted to talk about how this week I went into the doctor to get my medical marijuana card. Because in Florida, marijuana is allowed for prescription use and you just have to go in and get a consultation with a doctor to get it prescribed to you and then you wait on the state to issue your card. And the experience was so strange. I'm telling you guys, like, I walked in and I was like, is this a Dirty John situation? To recap, Dirty John was a guy who posed to be a doctor and like would walk around in dirty scrubs. Like this guy looked so disheveled. Just the vibes were off. I'm telling you, I know it's cliche to say that I can pick up on the vibes, but I walked in and shook this guy's hand and I was just like, oh no, the aura is off. <laughs> it ain't it. And, uh, you know, also this was happening on like the last day of Mercury in retrograde. So that kind of also explains things. I'm so glad we're out of that. This was like a particularly brutal one for me. <laughs> um, so he he says right off the bat that I should take my mask off, even though, mind you, On their door, it says masks required, but I thought it was odd because the people in the office weren't wearing one, but I kept mine on and I, uh, he says that I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated. And he literally like guffawed and rolled his eyes at me. And I was like, oh, interesting. Do we have like an anti-vaxxer doctor here? And then he just proceeds to lecture me, just give off bad vibes, tells me that i should listen to oh asks me if i know who joe rogan is and i'm sorry to me that is like the kiss of death a i want to be like yes you fuckwad, i do know who joe rogan is i actually have a podcast of my own I'm not saying it's on his uh level but i have one and the fact that you are citing him and his podcast as some sort of basis for your medical knowledge is a little concerning um (laughs) I just could not get out of that place fast enough and there's other things like I want to go it's like the whole experience was just so weird I just feel weird because it was like a doctor's appointment I'm like I don't know like I don't know if I should say all of it um I just was literally like okay just please write my prescription and let me run I'm out I'm out like throughout the appointment I kept telling him stuff he would ask me like who's your primary care doctor and I like, do you have a therapist? And I kept saying, or a psychiatrist. And I I literally said like three times, no, I don't have a therapist or a psychiatrist. I'm prescribed my medicine through my internal medicine person. And he just kept, and I kept saying she was a woman. And he kept saying, what's the name of your, that guy, your therapist again? I'm like, no dude like there is no therapist like it was just in one ear out the other maybe he was just high off his ass but I mean like is that allowed can you be administering prescriptions if you're high off your ass that just that doesn't track to me <laughs> anyways I think it was also because I had gone to the dentist right before and the stark contrast was just really something like I felt very you know clean and safe at the dentist and this was just wasn't it okay okay <laughs> Let's get into our first topic of the day. Um, Months ago, we talked about the allegation that Subway's tuna fish sandwich does not contain tuna fish. And I was in denial straight up. Like, I just didn't believe it. I just didn't see the point of them using fake tuna. And the plaintiffs in that lawsuit and their lawyers did not comment for this article that I'm about to discuss. But it's from the New York Times. And they wrote a follow-up about this. And it's kind of – it seems to be written by a younger – Author and it's sort of it's it almost seems like it should be a cut article. And that's kind of why it, it struck me and I felt like we had to discuss it. So she starts it out by noting that when when this originally blew up and the lawsuit was brought, Jessica Simpson tweeted, It's okay, Subway, it is confusing. You know, and she writes. She famously didn't know whether chicken of the sea was chicken or tuna back in two thousand three, and that I just wanted to bring up because I didn't know she she tweeted that. And that scene from Newlyweds is one of my favorite pop culture memories. It is a perfect reality TV moment. It's real. We all say ditzy shit like that, and if you if you say you don't like, you're lying. And I thought it was just so relatable and cute and. I just loved it and I don't think she deserved all the backlash she got about being so stupid and I think she handled it well um, but I had to bring that up because it really it's the fact she tweeted that is just so perfect and and on brand. Uh, <laughs> the other thing goes on to write from a reporter's perspective the case bore further investigation. A deep dive if you will. I mean literally you know like <laughs> she's just really going for the puns here. So she describes that she procured more than 60 inches worth of Subway tuna sandwiches. By my estimation, that would be five uh, foot longs. And she removed the tuna meat, froze it, and then shipped it across the country to a commercial food testing lab. And then she waited until the labs came back. And here's the thing. She shows pictures of her doing this process of removing the tuna. And to me, it's not clear if she was even wearing drugs. Drugs issues. <laughs> oh, my God, God i'm still shook by the medical marijuana thing it's not clear if she wore gloves it's not clear if the food was kept at a proper temperature and i would think that that could affect things and i you know i'm I'm clearly still in denial but even the lab itself said that it was wary about the challenges of identifying a fish that's been cooked at least once mixed with mayo frozen and then shipped across the country because they made her send it with like ice packs um and that, again, says to me that the proper handling of the meat seems very important in ensuring that an accurate result is is given. So she finds a lab who's willing to run a PCR test on this, and they actually specialize in testing seafood. And I thought that was fascinating that I guess this, the same PCR test they used to test for COVID is what this place is doing. I mean, not, not obviously testing for COVID, but the same method of testing is used to see if there's tuna in this. Uh, And this part shook me up. It says, when Oceana, an organization focused on ocean advocacy, conducted one of the largest fish fraud investigations in the early 2010s, it discovered that seafood may be mislabeled as often as 26 to 87% of the time for commonly swapped fish such as grouper, cod, and snapper, disguising fish that are less desirable, cheaper, or more readily available. I mean, that's kind of wild. And I wonder if that's just accidental or if they're really trying to commit fraud. Uh, Because as they also noted in this article, once you, you know, descale a fish and you cut it and you chop the head and the tail off and you just have a slab of fish, it can be really hard to discern what type of fish it actually is. And this article also alerted me to something I found incredibly disturbing, that Subway tuna can stay out in their little container, you know, the little, the little tens for 72 hours. I mean, Imagine if they're letting it go past 72 hours and accidentally not changing it. I'm just that's three days. Like I, I know it's already canned and preserved, but once you take it out and it hits the air and you're mixing it with mayo and your relish and whatever the fuck else you put in your tuna salad, I just 72 hours seems sketch to me. So they talked to someone who worked at a Subway. They called them sandwich artists. And they said, we don't really care at all, which may sound kind of weird, I guess. But customers will bring it up and we just go, I don't know. What kind of cheese do you want? (laughs) So as I was reading this, I was like, I have to get a quote from my little brother who worked at a Subway. So please enjoy that.
1: (laughs) So Bailey asked me to record this. Hold on. Let me take my retainer out real quick. Yeah. So I did used to work at Subway. And yes, Bailey, we are called Sandwich Artists. Uh, I don't know why. It's kind of a dumb name. But anyway, about the tuna situation, I don't know what it is, but we would get shipments of what they called tuna, and it would come in these big bags, uh, and they were like two-pound bags of tuna, or what they called tuna. Um, And then um, you would have to open those bags and then pour that into a container uh, with mayo, with a bag of mayo, so it was one bag of mayo to two, to a bag of tuna, uh, or two bags of tuna to one bag of mayo, I don't remember, um, but, yeah, it looked like fish, it smelled like fish, I'm not really sure if it was tuna, or if it was another fish, but, um, it was very pink, I remember that, um, but outside of that, yeah, I don't really know, I haven't read a whole lot about the tuna situation with, with Subway, I know that they said there was, no tuna found in the tuna. So I don't really know, but that was my experience with it. It was the worst to make. I can tell you that it was really gross. You had to mix all the mayo and the tuna together.
0: I'm sorry if I grossed anyone out by leaving in the part of him talking about removing his retainer, but I thought that really went with the vibe of a teenager working at Subway. And he is now 20, but he was a teenager when he worked there. And I thought getting that little firsthand account from him was, you know, a nice touch. So back to this article, they get the results back from the lab, and it said that there was no amplifiable tuna DNA present in the sample, and so they obtained no amplification products from the DNA, so they can't identify the species. But the spokesperson from the lab offered this little bit of analysis. He said there could be two conclusions. It could be that it's so heavily processed that whatever they were able to pull out, they couldn't make an identification from it. Or that they got something and there's no tuna in it. I think it's way more likely that they were unable to process it correctly. Or I'm sorry, it was so processed that the lab couldn't process the results correctly. And honestly, like this happens when people are trying to process DNA like in a criminal case. Sometimes the results are inconclusive. It doesn't mean that there's no DNA on the item. It just means that they can't get enough of it to ascertain what it is. So I don't... To me, this means nothing. And the article also noted that Inside Edition did this same test, and they sent three Subway um, subs from Queens out for testing, and the lab in that case found that it was tuna. And I think it's interesting that the plaintiffs have even kind of rolled back on their original claims, and now they're complaining that they don't believe that it's 100% sustainably caught skipjack and yellowfin tuna, which it probably isn't. I mean... I don't think Subway is getting the top of the line fishies. I think that might be going to the sushi places. And I'm putting on the record that I don't think this lawsuit is going to go anywhere. Subway may settle with the plaintiffs just to stop this from popping up in the news over and over again. But I think they're fully using tuna. I think it's low-grade tuna. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. As many people bring up in the article, tuna is a very cheap item, why would you not be, I'm sorry, especially canned tuna. I'm not talking about like sushi grade tuna, but the canned tuna that you get, it's already using the kind of lowest grade tuna that they can't use for sushi tuna. And it's really cheap and it's already kind of heavily processed and cooked by the time that you're opening it out of a can or a bag or whatever. So (laughs) that's that. (laughs) On to a way more serious note, I wanted to sandwich this in between two lighter stories because I'm not kidding. I was listening to this and reading about this last night. I could not go to bed. I was up till 1am. I went out to the kitchen. I made some myself some frozen vegetable dumplings thinking that would help me sleep. I was tossing and turning and maybe it's partially because I am flying to another country today and don't feel fully prepared, but I'm telling you it is partially because this story shook me to my core Again, I just feel like it's what we've all been waiting to hear, and it was Britney Spears finally speaking in front of a judge. She spoke mostly interrupted for around twenty minutes about her conservatorship, and it is honestly heart wrenching to listen to. It, it 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 was like almost bringing me to tears, and if I wasn't on LexPro that emotionally stunts me, I think I probably would have been crying. It is an awful, awful listen, read. But I really did want to focus on Brittany's actual transcript and testimony instead of talking about this through the lens of a news article. Because I think we've so been waiting to hear this in her own words. And I don't want to mince what she says or put it through a filter. I just want you guys to know what she actually said. And I know that the news is probably so infiltrated with this. And you're, it's It's going to get to a point where it's just so heavily talked about. But I, I just couldn't not talk about it on here. I think it's so relevant and I think it's one of the most critical things that's actually happened in pop culture history in my life. Like, I'll just go on the record and saying it. I think this whole saga is is going to maybe shape how conservatorships and fame and even young actors, actresses, singers, people who are kind of under the thumb of their family, how that all works and how Hollywood works. I mean, honest, lucky the song was foreshadowing. Let's just let's put it that way to an extreme degree that I don't think any of us were ready for. So let's just get into breaking us down a little bit. I think what struck me right from the beginning of this is how sure of herself Britney sounds and honestly just pissed. You can tell this has reached a point where she just has to get it out. She has to get it off her chest. And she's really rushing through this. And you can feel her just so hard, feeling like she only has so much time and she's just trying to get out everything that she has to say. And I have to say, as you know, someone who's done like Zoom hearings in front of a, a judge, it's it's nerve wracking. I mean, there's this person in power. And beyond that, they're in charge of her fate. I mean, I'm just going in as a lawyer. I can't imagine going in as someone whose life is literally on the line and just feeling like this is my one shot to tell them everything I have to say. It's nerve wracking. You're nervous. Everyone talks faster when they're nervous. So she is talking incredibly fast. There's two times throughout this where the judge uh, politely asks her to slow down because the court reporter is having trouble keeping up and writing down everything she says. I thought this judge was very respectful. Let her speak, apply to her for her courage at the end. I'm hoping that this will be a shift. And again, I'm just going to insert a little clip here so you can get kind of a feel for, again, how sure of herself. Brittany is in this, and you can you can feel her strength through the recording.
2: I will be honest with you, I haven't been back to court in a long time because I don't think I was heard on any level when I came to court the last time. I brought four sheets of paper in my hands and wrote in length what I had been through the last four months before I came there. The people who did that to me should not be able to walk away so easily. Brittany
0: starts off by explaining that things really started to disintegrate when She did her tour in 2018 out of fear because she felt like she would be sued by her management company if she didn't. And I love the next part because she shouts herself out for basically choreographing her entire Vegas dancers and saying straight up, I wasn't good. I was great. And I was just like, girl, you are like, she's an amazing dancer and you can, people want to hate on her and be like, Oh, you know, oh, that, that give me more performance. It's really just been all downhill from there. But I don't think you can deny that she has such natural talent when it comes to dancing. And she goes on to say that it's funny to hear her manager's side of the story because they said she wasn't participating in rehearsals and that she didn't agree to take her medication. But she says that's not true because they never even would see her taking her medication because she would take it in the morning before rehearsals. And really when things blew up is there was a certain dance move they wanted her to do and she did not want to do it and i don't know why that she was so adamant she didn't want to do it but she just didn't and that's within her purview to do that so her team says that she's not cooperating takes her to this therapist they put her on lithium and she describes lithium as a very strong and completely different medication compared to what she was used to and that you can go mentally impaired if you take too much and if you stay on it longer than five months But she was put on it and she felt drunk. She says, I couldn't even have a conversation with my mom or dad really about anything. I told him I was scared and my doctor had me on six different nurses with this new medication. Coming to my home, coming to monitor me on this and I never wanted to be on it to begin with. From my understanding, lithium is used when people are either diagnosed with bipolar or major depressive disorder. Depression, and their normal medication isn't working effectively. So lithium's kind of a step up if uh, it's not working for them. And I think it's it for depression, and it's it's prescribed a lot for bipolar disorder. I am not sure if Brittany's ever actually been diagnosed with bipolar. I looked up some of the side effects and it says that it can have a substantial effect and mood changes can be induced by lithium carbonate, lethargy, dysphoria, a loss of interest in interacting with others in the environment, and a state of increased mental confusion were reported. So I think it really makes sense that maybe some of what people were citing as her erratic behavior actually comes down to her being very quickly switched to a drug. And as anyone who's on... A psychotropic medication or even just something like an SSRI, in my experience and my knowledge of it, which is obviously not a doctor, but just what you're told when you're on an SSRI, you can't just immediately get off it. It can cause a lot of really painful side effects. You can literally get what is called brain zaps. So there's a very careful process when you are transitioning to a new medication, if you're coming off of one. And it, from what she's saying, it doesn't seem like that happened. This part, oh, this is like, you just start getting sick when you're reading it. She says, not only did my family not do a goddamn thing, my dad was all for it. Anything that happened to me had to be approved by my dad. And my dad acted like he didn't know that I was told I had to be tested over the Christmas holidays before they sent me away. When my kids went home to Louisiana, he was the only, he was the one who approved all of it. My family did nothing. As I was listening and reading this, I thought... It was fascinating that she was straight up blaming her whole family because that's not the narrative we've been presented before. And this part made me gasp because it sounds like her dad is straight up sadistic. This
2: part gave me chills, disgusted me. Over the two-week holiday, a lady came into my home for four hours a day, sat me down and did a psych test on me. It took forever. But I was was told I had to then... After that, I got off. um, Wait, I was told I had to then after I got a a phone call from my dad saying after I did the psych test with this lady, basically saying I had failed the test or whatever, whatever. um, I'm sorry, Brittany, you have to listen to your doctors. They are planning to send you to a small home in Beverly Hills to do a small rehab program that we're going to make up for you. You're going to pay sixty thousand dollars a month for this. I cried on the phone for an hour, and he loved every minute of it. The control he had over someone as powerful as me, as he loved the control to hurt his own daughter 100,000%. He loved it. I packed my bags and went to that place. I worked seven days a week, no days off, which in California, the only similar thing to this is called sex trafficking, making anyone work, work against their will, taking all their possessions away, credit card, cash, phone, passport, card and placing them in a home where they, they work with the people who live with them. They offer, they all lived in the house with me the nurses the 24/7 security um there there was one chef that came there and cooked for me um daily on the during the weekdays they watched me changed every day naked morning noon and night um my body i had no privacy dork for my um for my room i gave 8 gals of blood a week i mean to me what she's saying is her dad is
0: literally getting pleasure from torturing her and it's just It's so sad because even if that's not what he's doing, the fact that if that's what your daughter is perceiving, that is, it's, it's tragic. And I didn't, I didn't know what she meant by getting eight gallons of blood. It's kind of hard to hear what she says there. Um, Or if it's vials, it's transcribed as gallons, but whatever. I think she's just trying to make the point that she was constantly having to get blood and be put through this rigmarole for no reason. And she says, that's why I'm telling you this again, two years later, after I've lied and told the whole world, I'm okay. And I'm happy. It's a lie. I thought just maybe if I said that enough, maybe I've been in because I've been in denial. I've been in shock. I'm traumatized. You know, fake it till you make it. But now I'm telling you the truth. Okay, I'm not happy. I can't sleep. I'm so angry. It's insane. And I'm depressed. I cry every day. She goes on to say that anyone involved in this conservatorship, including her dad and her management, they should be in jail. I mean, when I tell you I gasped, I gasped. And I know it's so strange to be proud of someone you don't know, but damn, I'm proud of her. She says, I want changes going forward, I deserve changes. And really what she's asking for is she wants to end the conservatorship without being evaluated again, because I think she's so concerned that she's going to be put through this process that she has no control over, that's so rigorous that I think it would break anyone down to be trapped in a little room with a therapist for hours a day in this like fake rehab that they're making up. So I think she's just literally has PTSD from that and is just asking the judge that she not go through that again, because I think reading between the lines, her point is, When she's evaluated in a way that her management team picks and she has no control over, it's so one-sided, which I think is kind of what people have been concerned about for years that was going on with her. She just says, I I feel like I've done enough. I shouldn't be in a room with anyone to offend me by trying to question my capacity of intelligence, whether I need to be in this stupid conservatorship or not. I've done more than enough. One part I thought was really struck me was – she says a part of the reason she didn't come out and say this earlier is because she was worried no one would believe her. And she actually makes a comparison to the Paris Hilton documentary. And she says she watched it and she didn't believe her. And I think her her point was not saying that now she doesn't believe Paris Hilton. It was just this self-realization that you can watch something on TV, hear something through the media, and not believe the person. And she just felt like people were going to look at her and be like, so already biased by what we've come to know quote unquote about britney spears that no one would believe her story and damn like that part struck me
2: too all i want is to own my money for this to end and my boyfriend um to drive me in his fucking car and i would honestly like to sue my family to be totally honest with you
0: I mean, damn, she just sums it up right there. She says clearly exactly what she wants and highlights the fact that she hasn't even been able to do the simplest of things. She can't drive with her boyfriend in his car. I think it just perfectly illustrates how controlling this conservatorship has been. And then she also points out that she hasn't had the opportunity to handpick a lawyer by herself and that she would like to be able to do that. And I think that's also very important. Oh, I just, again, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in our pop culture. It's just shocking, disgusting, heartbreaking. And uh, again, it's so nice she's finally being able to have a voice in this. And, um, Oh, it goes on she's saying how she feels like they make her go to this therapist in Westlake and she hates going there because she knows she's going to get paparazzi There's always five of them waiting outside. They would threaten her. They would say, you have to do this or you can't go. You can't have any of your money. You can't go to Maui on vacation. And she reiterates throughout this that it just doesn't make sense for her to be making so much money for other people and employing so many people And at the same time, having a conservatorship that is so burdensome and controls her whole life. And just from an outsider standpoint, it doesn't make sense. There's nothing about that that's rational or makes sense. She also goes in on her mom. She, I think people had thought before this that it was really her dad. I wasn't seeing a lot of blame put on her mother. But she says how... She wasn't allowed any self-care methods. During COVID, she couldn't get her nails done, hairstyling, massages, or acupuncture. And I think a lot of people went through that during COVID, but her point was is she saw people coming into her house with their nails done differently each time. She knows that her mother did it, and she just felt like it was another way. Well, again, this is me putting words in her mouth, but to me, she's saying that this was another way they were controlling her and keeping them her under their thumb. She says that she's not even able to see friends that live eight minutes away from her, and she finds that extremely strange, which, agreed, that is freaking strange. She feels like they're making her live in a rehab program. <sighs> Guys, like, it's just it's hard to read, and I, one of the things people have been speaking about a, a lot and is making people more sick to their stomachs than maybe anything else in this, she says the
2: following get married or have a baby. I have a um, ID inside of myself right now so I don't get pregnant. I wanted to take the ID out so I could start trying to have another baby, but this so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they they don't want me to have children, any more children.
0: I mean, the nonchalance with people thinking they just have control over a woman's body. I can't imagine being forced to be on some birth control that I didn't want to have and it's literally inside you because she's she says id but i think she's referring to an iud and on the note of her wanting to get married and have a baby it's so clear that her boyfriend is supporting her in this earlier in the day he was wearing a free britney shirt he's also really beautiful he reminds me of romaine lettuce from selling sunset uh his name's romaine from uh, mary's husband but yeah he's like the more beautiful version of romaine lettuce Anyway, I think it's worth listening to it in full if you haven't yet. I hope this gave you a little overview, made you realize how sickening this whole situation is. And it's really cute at one point. I was having trouble finding the audio, but at one point she's like, I'm down to like uh, to go to therapy once a week. I know I need a little therapy and she just kind of like laughs and it's so cute and just your heart. I, I don't think you have a soul if your heart doesn't break for her a little bit. Oh, and I also want to apologize that there was lots of beeping during that recording I'm sorry, that was just the one that I was able to find on YouTube, and whoever was recording it, I think, just had a lot of phone sounds going off. So to follow up that story, I think we needed something in stark contrast, something lighthearted. So let's get into our first cut article of the day. What fresh hell is this Netflix by Mia Mercado? She writes, Netflix has given us what no one asked for, but we all deserve a dating competition where all the contestants wear costumes best described as unhinged. Sexy beasts. in Netflix words, is a new dating show where real life singles sport elaborate makeup and prosthetics to put true blind date chemistry to the test. It's like The Bachelor meets The Masked Singer. It's like a love contest for furries. It's like Netflix said, oh, you want reality dating shows? Well, here you go, you little freaks. At first, I was thinking this might be my answer to dating. Like if I could just show up with a big prosthetic dolphin head on, maybe it would take the edge off a little bit. But then I was watching the trailer and I'm like, this isn't blind dating at all. This is You can full on see these people's body shapes, what they're wearing, because it's literally like they're in regular clothes. You can see their whole body. But then they just have on this ridiculous prosthetic head that really does look like a mascot head almost or just something from that sci-fi show face off which i was weirdly obsessed with back in the day where they put on like the fake prosthetics on people and make them look like hollywood monsters i mean the makeup is pretty impressive i have to give it to them they really made a girl look like a dolphin there's a scarecrow there's a beaver there's a devil like the literal devil which i'm like did this girl ask for this or did they just put this on her (laughs) Because, yikes. I also wasn't aware that this was originally a show on the BBC and it aired back in 2014. So it's been around for a while. And then apparently it was rebooted in 2015, but then was canceled after one season. So I don't know exactly why Netflix thinks this is a good idea to bring it back. But I think we're just at that point in the zeitgeist that people are like, why the fuck not? Let's bring a little levity to the world. But like I said, because they can still see their body, people are still going to be judgy as hell. I I just
1: First, personality second You're the best looking devil I've ever seen (laughs) This is really
0: weird right now (laughs) I would like to point out that was in fact someone in a beaver costume Which may account for the little list because he has two bucky ass teeth saying ass first, personality second See what I mean? It's still judgy as hell And let me tell you there is something odd about seeing a man in a beaver costume say that statement As if it isn't bad enough already
1: There's interspecies relationships happening on my grounds. I won't stand for it.
0: In less furry news, our next article, Nikesh Patel Would Maybe Date You by Katya Vujic. We talked about Rose Matefeo from Starstruck last week, so it's only fitting to talk about her leading man in that show, and that is Nikesh Patel, who plays Tom Kapoor. And it's funny because last week I was comparing rose to Mindy Kaling and their love of rom-coms and how they kind of put the genre on its head a little bit, but make it feel fresh and new. And I was reminded that uh, Nikesh was actually in Mindy's TV remake of Four Weddings and a Funeral. As an aside, I have four weddings this year and everyone keeps saying, I hope there's not a funeral. And I'm like, can you please stop putting that into the universe? I would really appreciate it. And to recap, Starstruck is on HBO Max and it follows Rose's character, Jesse, who it's New Year's Eve. She's really drunk. She ends up hooking up with this guy. She doesn't realize he's actually a famous movie star which is kind of ironic because jesse works at a movie theater as one of her jobs and it just kind of follows their relationship it's already been renewed for a second season i am very exciting excited uh Katya asks how he became involved in the show. And he says it was a slight role reversal. I was a Rose fan because I knew her stand-up and I'd been to her show with friends and I thought she was brilliant. So when I saw she'd written the show, I was really excited. I love the meta-ness of him fangirling over Rose. It's so, It really is a role reversal. And I just think that's so universal, perfect, like, kismet moment. And y'all know I love an intimacy coordinator moment on this podcast. I learned about intimacy coordinators through the cut And it's it's funny that it wasn't something we'd really thought about until recently. And he points that out. He says they worked with one and it was quite a new role on set. And as soon as you work with one, you're like, oh, my God, of course, this should be the norm. Would you ever choreograph a fight scene without a stunt coordinator? No, because someone's going to get hurt. And, you know, it's the same question I think should be asked with intimacy. And I totally agree with that. I think it's so important that that's something that's been implemented in movies these days. And then they ask, you're an actor. What's your personal policy on dating normies? He says, first of all, I hate the term normies, so let's not do that. What does Kath, Minnie Driver's character, say? She calls them civilians. Uh, Another point. There's only like one scene with Minnie Driver, and she's such a scene stealer in it, and there was not enough of her, and I just demand more Minnie in season two. So... (laughs) Yeah, she calls them civilians, and he says, I don't really have a policy. I understand that there are benefits to being with someone who understands the challenges of your profession. But I also recognize in a way that Starstruck does, certain couples are chalk and cheese, and they work, and sometimes it's great. Is chalk and cheese a British term? Like, I lived in England when I was a kid, and I—that that is not something I am familiar with. Chalk and cheese? I don't want chalk with my cheese. I don't know. <laughs> and he says, Uh, I think one of the big dangers, and I say more from observing it and friends of mine have had to engage with it on a certain level, but this thing of fame and people knowing you, whatever that means. So I think he's saying it's sort of this imbalance and you don't know people's motives uh, when they're not already in the business. But I think the same can be true of people in the business because there's always still an imbalance. There could be someone who stars a little bit higher at the time and someone trying to leverage that and be with someone just for that reason. So I think everyone... I think people should give normies a chance. I like that term. I think that's better than civilians. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to re- really do that quick article. Next up, Nicholas Braun is No One's Fool by Sanjita Singh Kurtz. So Nicholas Braun is doing press because he's in Zola. I feel like we talk about him a lot on here, and I can't stop talking about Zola. But what do you want for me? I'm so excited for it. It comes out next Friday. He calls Sangita from New York and it's where he's filming the third season of Succession and she refers to Cousin Greg as a dummy. This is why I love Sangita. She just like says it and he takes issue with that and says, I thought he was ambitious and a good bullshitter, maybe a pothead, but not stupid. <laughs> so he plays Stephanie's boyfriend in Zola and Stephanie is the one who Zola has a falling out with and Stephanie's the one who gets Sola to come to Florida to strip with her in Tampa. And he says he's had experiences where you're like, God, what can I do to make this ca- girl care about me? What can I do to feel better in this relationship? I don't feel like I have power or leverage at all. I'm the one trying to get something, get a text back, or get a call back, or anything. And Sanjita says she's wondering if this is all bullshit because he's a well known actor who famously dates normies. Or as prefers, civilians, but I like normies. And he's six foot seven, and is he really out here waiting for a text back? (laughs) I wonder. I feel like Sanjita definitely follows Dumois. I think I've looked at this before, and she does. And Nicholas is all over Dumois. People constantly see that him, and I think I've said this before that it's partially because he's six foot seven, but I also think he's one of those people who just must be out and about a lot. Like if I was a famous person, no one would ever see me because while I love a good dinner. And I love like going out on a fun night and a fun day and I love activities. For the most part, I am in my house. Like I'm not out wandering the streets. I get sweaty. I need a lot of breaks. I need a nap. So no one would freaking see me. Whereas Nick, people just see him all over. He's out, he's always at Ray's. I mean, honestly, if you want to see him, just go to Rays. It's in the Lower East Side. It's owned by Justin Thoreau. He is just out there flirting with girls all the time. And I think San picked up on that. But She writes, he shakes his head, eyes growing wide, and impossibly even more earnest. After swallowing a few times, he begins to speak haltingly about a bad date in his 20s. The story is familiar. The date went great. You really like the person and think they really like you, but you never hear it from them again. As a chronic overthinker in all parts of his life, he absolutely hates that feeling. I don't know how to cope with it, so I just kind of walk away from it. After a week of being obsessed and checking, has anything come into the phone? Is there any sign? I can't do it anymore. And he tries to play this at cool, but usually ends things around then and to quote maintain any self-confidence. Again, I just love how Frank Sanjuta is with this. She talks about how Nick ate a lot of candy and Red Bull to prepare and lose weight and looks sick, and she says, It absolutely works. <laughs> I mean she just calls him out, she says, Derek looks like shit. That that's his character in the in the movie. And in particular, looks like he smells like shit. <laughs> He says it's all BO, it's a 30-hour road trip, and he doesn't change his outfit once. He goes on to explain that he's really interested in the courting process, and because he's so fascinated with it, he's written two scripts around the idea, and he hopes to write a social horror movie, and I would like to pitch to him that I think he should base his social horror movie on Sexy Beast, because... You will have nightmares when you see these things. It's worse than cats. I mean, better than cats? Like, I definitely always said I thought the physical costume would have been better than the CGI, but I can't get over the dolphin, girl. Like, just give her a look-see. It's just something to behold. It also looks really uncomfortable and heavy to have that whole thing on your face and a, and a fin on your head. So <laughs> she then at the end asks him to sing something for her because famously he did the Antibody song. We even included it on this podcast where he sang about wanting to find someone who had antibodies that he could hook up with. And he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he says it a bit panicky. (laughs) And she says, I might have been skeptical at first, but now I'm left with no doubt that everything he said up until this point is true. (sighs) I just, the boldness. I just love it. She straight up asked him to serenade her. I was going to do, and I think about it a lot, but we're actually running a little late today. And it was going to be about the Kardashians and the cut the cut crew kind of talked about Kardashian moments that they think about a lot. So to keep on that theme, my legit shit today is Kardashian inspired. And it is Skims, and it's a particular version of Skims because I've tried two types and one's like the regular cotton one. And that is just a basic ass bodysuit. It is not worth your money. It's just it's basic. You could, don't do it. But The fabric that's the fits everybody fabric, that stuff's pretty revolutionary. It's like two layers of really like tight material, tight as in hose material almost, but it's opaque. It's not super see-through if you get a dark color. And that one fits really well. It starts out so small looking and then it just magically stretches. So I have the brown one. I'm doing a link to my exact type I have. It's in the show notes, of course. You can see all of the links to all the shows. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I'm going to miss you guys next week. I hope in the meantime that you share this with someone you like, that you follow me at Bailey Evan or at Kinda Cute Podcast. And as normal, it would mean so much to me if you left it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. subscribed, And thank you again. Bye!